1: Hello welcome to the Eurostep Podcast, I'm Cain Pittman and I'm joined by Ty Windish as always, potentially a fired up Ty Windish as we are now just recovering from one of the quietest actual draft nights we've seen in a long time uh, due to a, a prior trade that we will uh, get right into the Bucks. do not make a pick on draft night it's the first time they haven't taken a pick since 2004 and it made for an extremely long draft night that felt like it went for about 12 hours but uh, the Bucks do not take a pick on the night we have no rookies even though Kevin Porter Jr. did wear that Bucks hat up on stage so Ty uh, how was your draft night experience and how are you doing this morning?
2: it was good so it was almost beneficial that the bucks didn't do anything because i was doing covering every other trade that happened and there were a lot of them i think i'm still not done i need to finish updating my post this morning because a lot of second round picks got traded for more second round picks uh the analysis became like okay yeah this team likes this guy and this other team doesn't so they don't care but I, I would posit this would probably be the longest draft ever for Bucks fans if for some reason they watched the whole thing. I mean, you guys had to because, like, in 2004, we didn't have, like, the Woad Shams, alternate coverage. Like, there wasn't so much going on while the actual draft happened. And now there's, like, so many things happening. It felt like every team made five deals. And to just sit as a Bucks person in the middle of it, kind of just looking around like, okay, when are we going to buy a pick for two second rounders and cash or whatever? And for it not to happen is it's almost even more disappointing. Cause it just felt like there was so much activity and I'm not like disappointing. Like I'm like sad. The bucks didn't make a trade, but just disappointing from a spectacle standpoint, I should clarify.
1: Yeah, it was, it was strange because I, I was thinking about this and I was wondering if this was a TV thing, why it felt like it went for so long in the end, I think it was just because the Bucs didn't take a pick and you probably knew they weren't going to. I mean, the first round went for, for over three hours, I think. So but I mean they still they they still got the same time limit. So that hasn't changed. I'm not sure why it felt so long. But yes, we were at the Bucks practice facility, uh, hanging out in the video room and just waiting and waiting and uh telling each other bad jokes. And it was Matt Velasquez's birthday, so he was probably wishing he was doing something a little more fun than, than just hanging out and then watching this draft happen. But uh, the Bucks, the reason why they didn't take a pick, they already made their trade uh, the day before or the trade got announced the day before. Uh, and that is Tony Snell, who uh, was rumored to be on the block, got traded to the Detroit Pistons. The Bucks and the Pistons have made another trade. Uh, Tony Snell goes to Detroit with Pick thirty, which ended up being Kevin Porter Jr. The Bucks get John Lua back. Uh, and I say back. Yes, they get him back in the trade. They also get John Lua actually back. He's back on the on the Milwaukee roster. So uh just you know, to unpack this one, nothing but a financial move for the Bucks. We know that every trade that they've made, some better than others in terms of uh, what you what value you think you're getting back. Uh, but this is nothing but a salary cap move for the Bucs. Uh, they obviously get out of Tony Snell's deal, which, uh, you know, look, for mine, Tony Snell is a really decent rotation player in the NBA. I, I think that he's a guy that I probably hoped played a little bit more in the playoffs when the Bucs were struggling to shoot from three as, as much as they were. Good defender, uh, versatile defender, and, and and a really good shooter from three. But... Tony Snell was owed 11.3 million, 11.4 million dollars uh, this upcoming season. He had a 12.2 million dollar player option for next year, which you, you know, almost could guarantee that he was going to take. So, uh, you know, over 23 million dollars for Tony Snell still owed. So the Bucks, this season, by uh, acquiring John Lewis. They save uh, around $3 million just in the difference between Snell and Lua. They also save just over a $1 million for that uh, pick 30, so around $4 million in salary cap room this year. Obviously, they get out of the 12.2 next year for Tony Snell. Uh, long story short, this trade basically gives the bucks around $14 million in cap space. Uh, that is before uh, the potential uh, of stretching Lua, which we will talk about. Uh, but, you know, at the end of the day, what it does do is it pretty much gives the Bucks a guarantee that they can bring back Brook Lopez, probably George Hill, depending on what they do. So uh, that was the goal. Uh, John Horse spoke the day before with us uh, about, you know, how big of a goal Brook Lopez lost his team and that they were going to try and do whatever they could uh, to get him back before you tear into this deal. If you look at it from that point of view and that point of view only, then you can probably see why John Horst thinks uh, that, that, that this trade was fine. But let me hear what you think, Ty.
2: Well, I'm not going to disagree that clearing out cap room is important. Like, clearly it is. My thing is, and we're going to have to wait to see. I mean, Horse said yesterday, you can confirm this more than I could, that the Bucks could potentially move lure again in another trade. Which, like, maybe, I, I don't know. Obviously, no one wants him. You'd have to attach something else to get off of him. But it feels like this is more looking at next year than this year. I mean, I, I just – I think there were – there could have been some other ways to open up cap room this year. I mean, like you mentioned, unless you stretch lure and we'll get there later – it just doesn't open up a ton more for the season right now. I mean, I just think giving up the 30th pick to get off of Snell to get a salary back that's almost as much this year. If if the main point is next year, not to open up room. For, I mean, the, the Lopez and Hill thing is nice. Obviously, the Bucs are going to have big deals, presumably in Middleton and potentially Brogdon that kick in uh, for after next season, you know, they're worried about being in the tax. Then as well, you get off 11 million. The next season thing I really don't like because I think you could just wait and deal Snell is an expiring that year after he takes his option and it'd probably be a lot cheaper to get off. I mean, it seemed like uh, teams dumping cap in this draft really did not have that hard of a time of doing so um there were a couple examples and i should have pulled them up before this but i remember at least two i think trades where a team got off money i mean okay the suns gave up the 32nd pick to get off tj one that still doesn't i mean tj one is good that's a, another weird deal but i mean they basically gave up one second round pick and took back nothing um i thought there was another one i remember too uh aaron baines was a throw in but he didn't make a lot anyway um, and then Solomon Hill got thrown into the huge uh, New Orleans Atlanta part of that three team deal. It's hard to say exactly how much that was, but it didn't seem like Atlanta had to throw in a whole lot more to take him either. Or that New Orleans said, excuse me. Um I don't know. I just if it's just next year, I felt like it wasn't worth getting off snow right now just to take on another bad deal and lure. And it's just tough like optics wise for me looking at the trade when you see you give up the much better player. Lure is not an NBA player. I don't I'm not going to buy that he is. He shot 9% from 3 last year and he's supposedly a stretch four, so I don't know what le- what's left in the old skill set. Uh Snell his worst year with the Bucks was last year in shooting. He shot 39%. Like you said, a strong defender, at least capable uh really good locker room guy. Just felt like would rather have Snell and the pick unless it's really that crucial to open up the cap space to get Lopez and Hill. And maybe it is, and then I guess I could see this trade, but I just I don't I don't
1: lo- I don't love it. I don't think I'll even
2: like it either.
1: Yeah, it's strange. So the only thing I will say when you talk specifically about John Lua and what has happened to his game over the last two years, uh I mean just a big contract for him for uh, four years, $42 million. I know when the trade went through, uh, my head was trying to think what that was off the top of my head, and it's 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 a crazy deal for John Lua. But, uh, you know, you go back a couple of years, obviously had a, had a nice year in Phoenix where he averaged just a, a touch under eight points uh, and six rebounds in just 18 minutes. I mean, really, really solid year for Lua. Played 67 games, started 27, shot 39% from three. I mean, he had a really good year. The next year with Detroit, uh, he shoots 30% from three, averages over 10 points per game. Still okay. And, and I don't know what's happened in the last two years. He's hardly played. Uh, he's averaged uh, just uh, 0.3 three-point attempts uh, and, and only hit one three, I think, over over those those 50 appearances. So I don't know what's happened to John Lewis shooting, but the one thing I will say, we know if you're not shooting threes or you're not capable of shooting threes and you're not going to play for the Bucs. So, uh, I, I I will say that uh, uh, you know I think we are slightly in, in in different camps when it comes to this deal. Now, first of all, I agree that this trade is far from a great one. I mean, I, I think even if you just look at what happened on draft night, and you spoke a little bit about some of the trades that happened, and even potentially if you just want to look at what happened with pick thirty, so uh, Detroit ended up. Uh, or Cleveland ended up acquiring that uh, pick 30 for for a number of second-round draft picks. And and look, second-round draft picks are always a little bit funny. I don't know. We, we spoke about this. If you think back to the podcast we had on Trade Deadline we, when the Bucks got Miritich and those four second-rounders were involved, uh, again, it's a similar situation. But, uh, you know, it, when you saw that that was the price and that was all the price, you had to think to yourself, could the Bucs have done something else with with pick thirty if they had waited another twenty four hours? Um, you know that question was asked to John Horse directly. Uh, you know, not surprisingly, he he was, you know, holding the uh, holding the stance that he was very very comfortable and very happy with what they did. Uh, I, I will say that again. This right now has nothing else to do with anyone other than Book Lopez for me. Remember when we spoke a little bit about what the Bucks could do with Lopez, I think we were looking at the mid-level uh, exception was probably going to be what the Bucks were going to try and lose uh, use to get Lopez back. Uh, that was a little bit of a dangerous um, situation for the Bucks because if Lopez did get a, a really exorbitant offer around the $15 million range and they were going to find themselves in a little bit of trouble. So uh, depending on what the Bucks want to do, there's no question regardless of whether or not you think it was the best use of uh, the pick 30 asset, whether or not you think that uh, taking on the lure contract was, was not the ideal way of going about this by opening up enough cap space to ensure almost guarantee that you can sign Lopez with cap space. Uh, I, I just think that that for, for what the bucks are trying to do uh, next season and how important Brooke Lopez has become to this team, uh, I think that the move is very quickly and very easily justified in, in my eyes, just from that standpoint alone, that there's really no uncertainty now. If Lopez is the guy that the Bucks want to bring back, which uh, again, uh, John Horst could not have been any more clear about that uh, when he was speaking to us, then I think this trade achieved the goal. Yeah.
2: I mean, I suppose that's fair. I'm not, i'm not overly mad about it i do think there's some poor revisionist history going on right now regarding tony snell uh i was as i'm sure you know noticed vocally against this trade on twitter i really just like john lure and the reason he barely played two years ago is he had an, an ankle injury at the end of the season early and then he also had a meniscus before last year but he bounced back and, and played half the year but um and just like getting John giving up two things to get John Lure just didn't sit well with me. Just like it did, it left a bad taste in my mouth. But a lot of people were tweeting at me like Tony Snell doesn't matter, who cares? It's like Tony Snell played 1300 minutes last year for the Bucks in an injured year. And I think I agree with you, certainly could have played more in the playoffs. And if he was healthy, I think certainly would have played more in the playoffs. I mean, I think it's pretty safe to say all of Sterling Brown's minutes probably would have gone to uh, Tony Snell. Um, I just think, you know, we don't have to, even if you're a Bucks fan, even if you like this deal, which fair, I mean, I'm not, I'm not saying you're an idiot. If you like this deal, that's fine. You don't have to go back and, and say Tony Snell stinks to make that happen. I think Tony Snell is probably going to end up being a, a pretty important player on the Pistons next year, considering how few wings they have. I mean, he might be their best actual wing player right now. It's probably either him or Luke Kennard. So really good trade for Detroit and sort of, getting two areas of need. I mean, every team that isn't great – I mean, every team needs a, another free draft pick basically and the Pistons certainly could have used a wing player like Tony Snell.
1: Yeah, to know. Tony, again, uh, I, I think that Tony Snell is, is a really good player. He's always been a guy that I liked um, just because I, I like the fact that he doesn't try to do too much and I really respect players like that in a system where uh, you don't need to worry about them trying to take over the show. They just stay play within themselves. Uh, and he's always played hard defensively. So Tony, you know, I, I think had a, had a nice run in Milwaukee. You know, obviously, last, the season before last, uh, not a great shooting year, and, but, you know, he he really did bounce back um, this season. Uh, I will say that, again, uh, you know, as much as uh, I do think Tony Snow is a decent player, I don't think he was going to play a lot next next season. And, that, and that's not to do with him. Um, I think that has a lot to do with, uh, how much I believe, but uh, trust uh, DiVincenzo, Also Sterling Brown, another guy. Pat and We know how he feels about him. Uh, I just think that th- that this was a deal that the Bucks, when they looked up and down the roster, they thought, yeah, we we really we really don't need Tony Snow on, uh, on this roster, and uh, you know, particularly for that price. I mean, if he was on Pat Conan's 1.5 million dollar deal, then yeah, I'm sure the Bucks would cover him. Uh, a lot more than they did, but you know, when they're trying to look at the top end of the roster, I just think that he was very, very expendable. And I also, don't think that John Lewis is going to be on the Bucks roster at the start of the season. So, uh, you know, in terms of getting John Lewis back, I'm not thinking of really about John Lewis the player. I'm literally just thinking about the 9.5 million dollar uh, number. Um, so, you know, there is a couple of options for the Bucks, and of course, they could. Uh, trade law in, in another move before the season. Uh, obviously, Urso Novišević and his seven million dollar uh, deal. You know, I'm sure they'll still be discussing options there. But I think at this point, when you look at the Bucks, it's really hard for me to see how they can move those deals now, uh, given that they don't have any draft picks. Given that I really don't think any of Devon Uh, Sterling Brown or DJ Wilson really they're only young assets I don't think that I mean they're not going to attach those guys just to get rid of the contract because I think that those three guys are guys that the Bucks really like so uh, for me this either means that Ilyasova and and Ilyasova will play so he's in a different boat to Laura. I just think it would have been a nice to have if they could have moved his his money also for more cap space Um, but I think those two, depending on what happens, are going to be very easily moved at the the deadline, for one, uh, once the season rolls on as expiring contracts. The other thing that I think is going to happen now, and this, again, is just my feeling, I think the Bucks are going to stretch John Law. Uh, I don't
2: like it. I don't like it one
1: bit. I don't think it's ideal. I um, am on team
2: never stretch, and I will never change my mind about it.
1: Yeah. I, and I understand why, and I don't think that it is ideal, but I do think that the Bucks right now are in throw the kitchen sink at this season mode. And I understand that that's a little bit dangerous, but this season is franchise changing for the Bucks, And I I don't, you know, again, I, I really do not think that stretching is the, is the best thing to do, but in this situation, what you would have is John Lewis 9.5 stretched over three years, you know, roughly around $3.15 million on the cap for the next three seasons. Obviously, an ugly number. But the Bucs are going to be in the situation where I don't think they're going to be able to avoid the tax this year. Maybe if... I mean, I, I, I don't think they're going to be able to avoid the tax, but they're going to put themselves in a position where they're going to be a tax team for multiple seasons, which... Again, the owners have said that's fine as long as uh, they are in. If the Bucks do, as I said, stretch the three point one five million, that cap room that they have this year goes from just a, a touch over fourteen million to just a touch under twenty million dollars. Uh, that's a lot of money for this team. That when you look at the the rest of the Eastern Conference, I mean, who's going to be a good team in the East next year? We don't really know right now because there's so many moving pieces and so many things that have to happen. Boston, obviously, uh, are falling apart. Maybe they get a max guy there and they can sort of turn that around a little bit. But you know, as of last night, the, the last thing I saw was that they were looking at Vucevic, And, uh, I mean, come on. If, if that's what the Celtics run run back with or that's what their money spent on next year, I didn't think we are worrying about the Celtics. Uh, the Knicks, obviously, a, a, a team that threatened to be good. You don't need to worry about the Knicks. Brooklyn is will be a good team. Philadelphia probably, but they may lose Jimmy Butler, Tobias Harris. We don't know what's happening there. Uh, Toronto, if they lose Kawhi and he goes to the Clippers, which a lot of people think is going to happen. I mean, the Bucks are going to be clearly the best team in the East next season if they bring back Hill and Lopez uh, in cap space. Uh, they can still use an exception there. I mean, they're going to be. I mean. This team has some real options to do some stuff. And next year is the year that, yes, this year they could have won the title. They had the best record in the NBA. But if they do stretch John Law, then what they're telling you, and we, and they should be anyway, but what they're telling you is that they are going all in to win this title this year. They're going to spend what they need to spend to win the title this year. And why that's important? Because you want to sign Giannis in, in uh, this time next season. Yeah, I
2: don't disagree. I think you certainly can't afford to take a year off, but I think that applies to now and later. I mean, we've seen it with countless stars. I mean, if you if a guy isn't happy, if he doesn't think he's in the best position to win, he can have years left on that contract and still get out. So I just think it's fine that the Bucks want to be good now. Obviously, I encourage that. You do just need to keep in mind
1: the future a little bit. Um so if you, But if you just quickly, if you do yeah. sign Giannis to a, to to the Supermax though, which is exactly what you know I think is going to happen in the end, I, I think the Bucks are going to be able to resign Giannis. But at least if you resign him, yeah, he maybe he can like force his way out. But you're talking about a 26 or 27 year old Giannis with multiple years left on his contract. Six. Of get, them. I mean, you can get whatever the hell you he want for Giannis at that point. If you if you if something happens next year, um, and again, I, I understand you have to look forward to, um, to to future years, but I just think if you've got Giannis on the Supermax anyway, your team is always going to be good, and you're going to be able to figure it out. So I don't think stretching is a great idea, ever, but I can see why I, that they might do it this year, and you can easily justify why this makes sense.
2: You can. Uh, so right now, I feel like the Bucks at the moment, according to Cleaning the glass cap cap calculator, which already has the lure deal, or I, I it lets you trade players. So I swapped in lure for Snell. Mm-hmm. So it looks like Milwaukee sits right now at about nine and a half million in cap space. So my guess would be they use that room to sign Lopez, and then they could use a, like an exception on Hill, probably the mid level. I would assume. And then after that, if you resign everybody, so let's say they sign Brook to a deal worth nine million in the first year. Does that sound steep to you?
1: Uh, nine million for 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 who? Do you say Brook? Brook, yeah. Um, no, it doesn't seem steep. I, I think that's exactly. I, it wouldn't surprise me if, if someone wanted to, wanted to pay him more than that. Oh yeah, I think he could, but
2: I, assuming he would want to stay, and then. Oh, it's not letting me do the George Hill thing. That's annoying. But if George Hill signed for the mid level, which I forget, is that like is that like five million, I think?
1: I thought I thought that
2: was closer than that. But anyway, I I... Oh yeah, you're right, you're right. I'm thinking of I think I'm thinking of the taxpayer one, which I don't I think they could give the mid level now because they would end up in the tax later. So that could be up to another eight if they wanted. And at that point, you're eight million over the cap with $43 to go until the tax with Middleton and Bledsoe yet to be signed. So, yeah, they could certainly end up running into it this year. That's with Lure's hit still there. One thing I want to talk about a little bit, and I think this is worth considering both for us and for the Bucs themselves. The biggest salary dump trade chip, so to speak, did not get moved yesterday. My Cleveland Cavaliers friends are very upset about this. Uh, JR Smith's contract, due to sort of a loophole slash being grandfathered into the new CBA, is the best salary dump mechanism right now. So JR's total cap hit is fourteen point seven million, but he's only guaranteed for I think like two or three million of that. And the way it works now on the cap is whatever you're guaranteed is what your money costs in a trade like this. So JR would only be worth like two, or three million in salary matching purposes, but that was a recent change. They grandfathered in all the old deals, including JR's. So Milwaukee could trade uh, John Lure and Ursan who make a combined 17 million for JR's 14.7, and then wave JR to only have two or three million on the cap. That would clear, obviously, a lot of space, get you far away from the luxury tax. But of course, the question there is, You know, what do you include to make Cleveland want to do that? The Cavaliers, I'm sure, have no great designs on adding Lure and Urson to their team for basketball reasons. So at that point, you pretty much have to be looking at young assets, right? I mean, there's not really anything else that you can offer the Cavs. I guess if you wanted to alter protections on a pick, you could do that. I don't know if. Cleveland would have a lot of interest in that, but that is, I guess, an option. Uh, certainly not a lot left in the old toolbox for John Horst to make that deal work, but it is something to think about, I think. Uh, Cleveland, Kobe Altman, their GM, has talked about using that that contract, that JR deal, to to bring in some sort of asset. I think the thought was it would happen at the draft to move up from their 26th pick that they had gotten I I think maybe you could try to call and and get sort of a steal there, considering it hasn't happened yet, and there's only like a couple of weeks left, maybe even a week until that contract guarantees, and it's obviously worthless. Then it's something to think about.
1: Yeah, I yeah, it it certainly is. Uh, when I when the 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 Woj tweet came through, that the Cavs were going to end up with peak thirty, uh, J R Smith's name certainly came up very quickly. Uh, in the uh, in the, in the video room at uh, at the practice facility, because I guess people were like, "Well, is Cleveland somehow involved in this trade? Are the Bucks gonna end up with J. R. Smith?" That was certainly something uh, that that came up very quickly. I, I just don't, as I sort of said earlier, I just don't see any way that the Bucks are, are going to be able to make that happen. I mean. Um, you know again you're really looking at needing to to trade you know at Di chenzo sterling brown like rotation players and and that's to me even worse than a pick 30 if you're trading a young rotation player that, that's done stuff in the league and you believe uh you know fits the system is going to play well so i you know again i'm not saying it can't happen and i'm not saying erstlan or, or or lua can't be traded before the season it just seems like a really uh really long shot but in terms of uh, the actual draft, uh, as I sort of said earlier, Kevin Porter Jr. did go f- at 30. Uh, I'm not sure about you. A couple of guys I was looking at, Dylan Windler from Belmont, ended up going 26 to Cleveland, so he wouldn't have got to 30 anyway. Another guy that I think a lot of people, were the Bucks fans, were interested in, Carson Edwards, went at 33 to the 76ers. So, uh which I think might be Boston. Actually, I'm looking at this. There was, I mean, there was so much that, that was actually happening. It's, it's when I look at the the NBA website now, it's uh, it's impossible to know where these guys actually ended up. That 33 was Philadelphia, but Carson Edwards went there, so he would have been available. Is there anyone that you're looking at this draft and and how it actually played out that you are one way or the other feeling, uh, I guess, extra uh, bothered by? that there wasn't a prospect actually picked up by the Bucs?
2: Not really. I thought most of the the players who I thought, you know, could have fallen that I talked about uh, on our last episode here with Trevor McNaughty, like Grant Williams was one where Trevor thought he was a top eight prospect, and there was certainly a lot of mock drafts that had him going to the second round. He was a guy I would have loved Milwaukee to pick up, but he ends up going 22 to Boston. Mm-hmm. So it's like, okay, fine. He wasn't there. Windler was interesting. Like you said, he was gone. Uh, I liked uh Shmory Pons, but he didn't even get drafted. So I guess uh most teams didn't, unless I'm just completely missing it here. <laughs> um Bull bowl, bowl goes super late. Not anyone I was ever really very interested in the Bucks taking. I mean, just this team has no use for a roster spot used on a what's basically a medical project. I mean, I saw I think Woj could have been shams. It all blurs together after a while. Reported that his medicals were apparently very not good when teams looked at them, and and I guess he didn't interview well. So now the Nuggets are just all in on their medical staff with him and Michael Porter Jr. Uh, like Some guys that looked like could have dropped all the way to 30, like Nasir Little is a guy who at some points was rated very highly as a prospect, but the Blazers snag him at 25 uh, so I thought a lot of teams did reach early in this draft. I mean, Tyler Harrow is 6'5", with a 6'3 wingspan. He went 13th. So, and Rui Hachimura, who,
1: again, Trevor, uh, I take a lot of my draft. As the second round started, uh, that, uh, you know, the Bucks maybe could try and find a way uh, to get a second round pick. Um, I, I think the problem is when you when you looked at the cost for some of these second round picks, it, it wasn't just cash. And, and I think that you know in previous years and John Horst after the draft touched on this he said uh, that they were making calls or they made a call for every single pick in the second round that's what he said uh, but he said himself that uh, you know the price was just too much for them because unlike years gone by and there was a couple of instances where this happened this year but you know in years gone by you say oh here's is here's, uh, 1.5 million dollars give us a, you know a pick in the late 30s that uh, you know wasn't really happening. there was there was future draft picks being tied to these uh, real value picks in the second round. and um, you know, as we've gone over a lot, that the bucks don't really have future picks either. So I uh, certainly not a lot of future picks, so the hands were kind of tied in that instance in trying to get a, a second rounder. So um, you know again, Horst really uh, tried to, in, uh, let us know and and be sure that that we were clear that he wasn't just uh, sitting up there or above us in the, in his office uh, chilling, uh, huh. having, having a beer, playing Two uh, K uh, nineteen or whatever. He was on the phones, uh, but nothing nothing was able to happen for the Bucks in terms of uh, of getting back into the draft. But but much like you, there was there was no unreal. I mean, I did at one point sit and sort of say to, to, to Velasquez, I was like, oh, I mean, we're at pick 40 here and Ball Ball's still around. I'm like, I wasn't sure about him at pick 30. I wasn't sure about him in the first round. But if you get him in the mid-40s, I mean, you know, why not? Uh, But, you uh, know, yeah, yeah there, there wasn't too much disappointment from me that the Bucks weren't able to get involved.
2: No, and I think just to illustrate the point on the second rounders, uh, 32 overall. Indiana had it cost Miami three second rounders to right. get it and that was a this was a this one actually surprised me a little bit because Miami didn't have any incoming second rounders so like they traded three of their own second rounders for this pick and I haven't seen the protections yet I gotta update the uh the post I did on my patreon about the draft day because so many things are happening at once but that's 32 which okay that's a good second round pick. 34 was did belong to Philly Atlanta trades for it two future seconds, and then 57, which is like barely a real thing, but it's something. Uh, And then 37 overall, which at this point you're getting pretty late in the second round, cost Detroit 45 overall, which fine, and two more future second-round picks. I mean, that's expensive at this point for a draft pick. And then even 46 overall, which did belong to Orlando, the Lakers go get that for a future second-rounder and cash to draft a clutch sports client, of course. But like normally, as you mentioned, I mean, 46 overall is a pick where if the Magic don't have anyone really in mind, they're just gonna take cash for it. Like, why not, basically? But to get a future second rounder and the cash, I mean, a lot of interesting, expensive second round picks in this draft. I almost feel like these second rounders have swung from being undervalued to being a little bit overvalued. I mean trading three two to three second rounders for like the 37th pick if you're not pretty confident on a guy I mean that's giving up a lot of assets for you know someone who is maybe a top 35 prospect in a draft and this is a draft that I mean it's been said a lot not very deep it's I don't know I I I was kind of looking at some of these going oh i really it's going to cost you more than one future second to get that that's that's a little odd
1: yeah yeah absolutely and 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 uh you know, just again to to touch on what Horst said, he he said that he believes that these second rounders, as uh, teams begin to value uh, these picks, and w- with so much money going to the top end of rosters, um, you know these these second rounders and how cheap they are, uh, you know, on your books as, as controllable uh, assets, controllable contracts. He thinks that the price is only going to go up as the years go on, but. Yeah, I mean, uh, maybe some of these deals that we sort of scratching our heads at now uh, end up being uh, ends up being the norm, and something we get used to. And uh, certainly for the bucks, I mean, yeah, you know, the second round you can find some gold there. We we know obviously with Malcolm Brogdon, obviously Sterling Brown, another one. Uh, they've had a number of, of of good picks in the second round, and uh, I, I think if you thought and, and obviously this is this is a rare instance, but if you thought there was a chance that you were getting a Malcolm Brogdon in the second round. Uh, then, you know, if you have those assets, you probably, you probably pay for a guy like that if you think he's, he's going to be ready to go and be a rotation um, member straight away. So, uh, look, I, I think we can probably move on from the draft just because, uh, I mean, there's really not a lot else to say. The Bucks, the Bucks were not uh, not involved. As I said earlier, the first time, they don't take a pick since 2004, but one of the really interesting things to come from last night... Uh, in, in our uh, sort of conference with Horst at about 12.30 in the morning or whatever you know ridiculous time it was by the time the, the draft was finished was uh, some news with the Summer League team. And uh, I asked John Horst whether Dante DiVincenzo was go- – oh, well, first of all, I asked how his recovery was going. Uh, I asked uh, whether he was expected to play uh, in, in Summer League. Um, I was a little bit surprised by the answer, but – Uh, I'll go into that. So this is what John Horse said when I asked him about Dante. He said, Dante's been in here every day. He's looking really good right now. He's definitely healthy. We're going to be really cautious with it. We're not going to push him out into summer league. I think summer league in some ways is to understand what guys can and can't do or to give them different opportunities that they haven't seen. Dante was pretty good for us last year when he was healthy. So I don't know about that evaluation piece of it. I do think Sterling Brown and DJ are going to play. That's more about understanding what their roles are, going to continue to be on our team and continue to put them in those situations where they can be more of the guy, uh, more of the facilitator, more of the playmaker. So I think those guys are going to play. And Dante, I think, will be kind of a game-time decision, but he's doing really well. So (laughs) Dante DiVincenzo probably not playing in Summer League. But DJ Wilson and Sterling Brown will be, which I think uh, is probably a bit of a surprise.
2: Yeah, I think I've seen some tweets replying to uh, you and, and others talking about this, going, those guys are going to tear up Summer League. And, and I certainly agree, I think. Uh, we're going to see if they play big minutes, I think Sterling especially, but Sterling and DJ both could put up some pretty gaudy point totals against you know a lot of players who won't even end up you know, playing in the NBA. I mean, these guys have playoff experience. This is, this is almost an unfair field, but Hey, I mean, uh, I do think there is some value in letting them get more shots to be more featured than they will be normally. So they are ready for, you know, the smaller role when it's there to still play big in that small role. I mean, that's a lot of the reason I'm always, uh, for players going to the G league, if they're not going to play a lot at the NBA level, just to get, get experience, you know, making those plays. I mean, the Bucks don't need DJ Wilson and Sterling Brown to take however many shots per game, you know, 10 shots, whatever. But they do need them to be ready to take a good couple shots per game. So I think getting to go take 10, 15, however many shots in a setting like this where obviously the end result doesn't really matter is only a
1: good thing for what those players will be able to do later when they don't get as much, you know, 25 to 30 guaranteed. I mean, he's going to be too physical. Uh, he's in the, he's a guy that's that's ready to show that aggression. So uh, I was probably more surprised about Sterling. But again, I, these guys haven't played enough in in the league for mine that they're above summer league. If they're willing to play, and the Bucks want not not even so much if they're willing to play, the Bucs want them to play. Get them down there and get them some reps in in the offseason. I think it's great uh, for Dante. I, some people seem frustrated that he's not playing for mine. Horst said some stuff about him. Uh, you know, already proving what he did in his role last year. I kind of don't buy that. I mean, if you look at (laughs) how how the season went uh, this year for Dante, uh, you know, played on January 1, that's when the heel injury first came up, didn't play until March, only lasted four games, and then sat the rest of the season out again with this injury. For mine, it feels like they are just not willing uh, to risk further uh, re-aggravating this injury and taking out a huge chunk of, of his off season, I don't think there's any concern moving forward with the injury. Uh, from what Horst said, he's been at the practice facility every day. He's working hard, but I, I just think maybe they're balancing using this that they're rookie or you know obviously a guy coming into his second year in a summer league setting and saying, do we really need to to, to do this right now with him, or can we uh, you know continue to work on him one on one in Milwaukee and, and push towards obviously training camp and preseason, and maybe. It doesn't make a lot of sense that that he does that. I, I don't know. That's kind of what I'm reading into it. I'm oh, wrong. It just seems like management more than anything.
2: Absolutely. I mean, Sterling Brown started playoff games. Like, What yeah. are we talking about? If, if being too proven means you can't play summer league, then Sterling and probably DJ wouldn't be there either. No, I mean, I think certainly it's it's more of an injury thing. I've seen a lot of reaction to that as well. You know, Dante is, is – Fragile is injury prone. I mean, let's wait and see. But he's had one year in the NBA. Exactly. The way the way I'm gonna look at it, honestly, is like Dante is basically the rookie again this year, because I didn't I didn't think we saw a ton of him. So that that'll be sort of I guess the the rookie part of it. Obviously not in the summer league, most likely, but uh during the during the year at least. And I guess you know what? I think I can come to peace with this Snell trade if it results in Sterling Brown playing a lot more next year. Because I still just think Something about him, and more than one thing, really. But I just I, I see the makings of a very solid, at least NBA player there, and I think him playing a lot more would be good for both Sterling Brown and for the Milwaukee Bucks going forward.
1: Yeah, I think so, and, and I do. Again, and a, a big uh, sort of reason why I've said that maybe Mariota is expendable is because of DJ Wilson. Uh, obviously, Tony Snell. Uh, I totally agree. Uh, Sterling Brown and Divincenzo, uh, just you know, I, I think the Bucks have a lot of faith in these young guys. That I think outside of Milwaukee, uh, perhaps people are underestimating uh, how how, ta- how talented these young guys are. That they have, uh, even though you know they did have that sixty win season. I think those two still, or those three, still have a lot to give. Uh, we will probably continue to discuss the the salary. Uh, situation. Uh, we'll, we'll certainly have another pod before uh, June 30, um, you know, when free agency is about to kick off because uh, it's, you know, it's going to be sort of another week of speculation, another week of arguing about Chris Melton on, uh, on the But uh, I, I, I do think that you know, there is a scenario in the trade and this is and this is where I just keep coming back to it. And, and again, far from ideal, I think they could have got better value if they waited. I think maybe they got rushed into a but if the trade allows the Bucs again, I know I'm repeating myself. To bring back Lopez, Hill, potentially Meritich on the mid level now, I think is a real option. Uh, and then you fill out the the the, the roster with other minimum guys. And as I continue to look through and I think what the Bucks want, who they want on the roster, you look at free agents like potentially an Anthony Tolliver, It's a free agent, you sign him to a minimum deal. You can't tell me he's not a guy that the Bucs would like on the roster. Uh, lengthy defender, shoots three well. I, I just think that the Bucks, in a not ideal way, have put themselves in the absolute box seat to be the the overwhelming favorite to to get uh, to the NBA Finals in the East.
2: Yeah, I would agree. I think we'll have to wait and see what happens with Philly. There's a lot of interesting possibilities there, and obviously Toronto, depending on Kawhi Leonard. But I, I do think it is very fair to say the Bucks are still in a good position. I...
1: I really hope I like the next couple moves better than the next one, though. <laughs> yeah, I, I, listen, again, I, this is what I've said the whole time since the trade. I do think that I am maybe looking at it a little bit different to other people because I just can't think of anything the Bucks do. I just cannot uh, you know, help but think about Giannis. And, yes, that does cause me to say, you know what, two, three years, figure it out when we get there. Uh, and I understand that's not the way – that you should run an NBA franchise. But I just think this summer and ensuring that everyone, you know, you get the best possible team to make sure Giannis is here for for the long term is above all else the most important thing. And I think that they've done that, even if, again, it wasn't, uh, you know, potentially the best way of doing it. But uh, have you got anything else from the draft, Uh, you know, summer league, anything else that you want to touch on?
2: We could talk about Dalton Holmes for two seconds.
1: Oh, yeah. Hit us up about uh, my guy, Dalton Holmes, the Div 2 Player of the Year. Div 2 Player of the Year,
2: Dalton Holmes, declared for the draft, did not get drafted. Uh, reported by Alex Kennedy that he uh, signed a deal with the Bucks, which certainly means a summer league deal, not like a deal deal, mostly because it's not legal to sign deal deals yet. Uh, Holmes was ranked 96 on the ESPN 100. Okay, he made the list. Yeah. Uh, And worked out with Gordon Hayward last summer. Cool. Uh, Here's the important part. Oh, another one. One more note. I guess he missed his junior and senior years of high school with injuries. Not exactly sure what those are. They're not specified in this ESPN story. I'm getting literally all of this from, but uh, hopefully not recurring serious injuries. But Holmes is six foot eight. Uh, he's athletic and he's a good perimeter shooter. Averaged 22 and 6 in 31 minutes per game in college, which is pretty good points for the the minutes played. He played for San Diego, I believe. Yep, and shot 47% from three point range and 85% from the free throw line. So obviously a shorter line, but he was a splasher in uh, in college. So interesting. It'll be. Someone to look forward to watching in Summer League there. I mean, uh, you can't really have enough guys who are 6'8 who can shoot if they can play any sort of defense. So maybe a hidden gem? Definitely a stretch to say this early. But certainly some things about Holmes are uh, intriguing, if we're even saying his name right.
1: Yeah, right. Uh, But, hey, count me as absolutely shocked that the Bucs have signed a 6'8 guy that's athletic and bombs threes. Yeah, I
2: can't well, believe it. What a absolutely. what a what a what a What a reversal from what we're used to seeing.
1: But hey, man, I, I'm telling you, you, you talk about that. Get this guy in summer league. I think the Bucks summer league team is going to be fun, and that's the big takeaway from uh, you know you knowing that Sterling and, and DJ are going to be there. Summer league generally sucks. You don't even have the Bucks don't even have a draft pick. Summer league was shaping up to be one of the worst summer leagues I could ever imagine. If you if you're a Bucks fan, so now we have got some fun things. Fun things to look forward to. Uh, basketball in, in, in just over two weeks. Uh, once the Bucks sign all the key guys, we can, we can watch Sterling and DJ play. And our guy, Holmes, 47% percent three point three point shooter. 48. Put respect on his name. Yeah, well, I mean, he's going to be upset with me. Oh, no, know. it's
2: 47. It's 47. I put too yeah. much respect. You. you were right.
1: Thank you. I was going to say, he'll be upset with me if I have to catch up with this guy. He'll be like, listen to Eurostep. <laughs> and you're you, you botching my numbers. but uh, So they did sign that guy, and I will just say quickly, Horst did say that he, he, they were going to have the Summer League squad finalised in the, in the very early hours of this morning. We left the practice facility at about uh, 1 a.m., maybe after 1 a.m., 1, 1 a.m., 1.30, uh, and he said that they were going to go upstairs and finalise that Summer League squad. So that should be something to look forward to probably today or certainly in the coming days we're going to know who's going to be playing for the Bucks Summer League. But another draft is down. And uh, even though it didn't feel like it for the Bucs, but uh, we will be back. As I said, we're definitely going to have another uh, a podcast with a, with a free agency primer uh, leading up to what we think is going to happen, even though on the surface it looks like it might be a predictable free agency period for the Bucs. I don't think that's something you can ever really say.
2: No, you certainly can't. There's a, a whole lot left to happen in the NBA. It's shaping up to be a wild summer, even if it is. A pretty easy one for the Bucs. Uh, a lot's gonna be happening around the league. So we'll uh we'll look forward to taking it all in and, and covering everything Bucks here on the Eurostep, that's for sure.
1: Yeah, we absolutely will. So Ty, I think you it's very early again. We got up early. I actually slept in. So I uh that was that was that was my bad on, on, on that one. But Ty it was good enough to stick around and uh thanks for uh allowing me back on the podcast
2: anytime kane anytime late at night early in the morning literally anytime is when we record this thing usually but uh always a pleasure to have you on uh thank you for for your time this a.m thank you to everyone for listening please subscribe rate review everything else everything nice and uh yeah we will catch you next time here on the Eurostep.